Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together. We thank you for share, having us share with one another how you've worked so magnificently in each of our lives that we can be part of the family, part of your family, and that, there's, and that the way to, to you is through your word. So Lord, let us learn more about your word and let us always bless you and thank you for all that you do. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As a reminder, we will be having a Christmas Eve service at 7 o'clock this coming Friday evening. Or we'll have it on the 24th, whichever happens first. Uh, so, uh, and that, you know, it'll be typically is the 40-minute or so service with mostly music and uh, a short message. So um, start your Christmas Eve off well and let's come and praise our Lord. Let's worship our Lord. Oh, it's so nice not to have to fight with a poinsettia this morning. <laughs> the King of Kings. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. From his very birth, Christ was recognized as King. Something about him inspired allegiance, loyalty, and homage. Wise men brought him gifts. Shepherds fell down and worshipped him. Herod, realizing that there is never room for two on the throne in one kingdom, sought his life. And as Jesus began his ministry, his claims upon people's lives were total and absolute. He allowed no divided loyalty. He demanded and received complete adoration and devotion. Mature men and women left their businesses and gave up themselves in complete obedience to him. Many of them gave their lives, pouring out the last full measure of devotion. His words caused even his most avowed enemies to say, no, ever man, no man ever spoke like this. And yet he was more than a poet, more than a statesman, more than a physician. We cannot understand Christ until we understand that he was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And like Thomas, our only response must be to bow down and confess, my Lord and my God. Christ describes Peter's death and then told him, follow me. He tells all believers to pick up their crosses and follow him. Faith in Christ is an all or nothing deal. Let's worship our Lord. Let's worship our King.
we celebrate this day and this time as believers, as our Lord was born a child, grew to be a man and our Savior. But there's a group amongst us that doesn't believe that. They would want us to stop Christmas like a real Grinch to prevent it from coming. And that's the description we find in Isaiah 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossoms shall ascend like dust, because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. And the other side now is a reminder, if you'd stand with me as we read Psalm 23, of who we are and where we stand. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 55. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. 
At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. And Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made his promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. If you'll join me now in our responsive reading. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. Give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you created the heavens and the earth. You created all that exists. And you gave us the capability to learn and to grow. So Lord, we know that all belongs to you. And we know that you have entrusted each one with, with certain things. And you have blessed each one as you've seen fit. So Lord, but you tell, tell us to share back, to share with others who do not, who have not been so fortunate and that we, we can br help bring their word, your word to them, Lord, by, by giving back and sharing as you have shared with us. We ask that you bless the gifts that we're giving today. In Jesus' name, amen. And rise for the doxology. not only may you be seated, you probably should be seated because <laughs> you're going to be listening now. <laughs> and it, would, it would be kind of weird if we were all standing. <laughs> we could try it sometime. You want to try that? <laughs> I'm not telling. <laughs> Lord, we, uh, we commit this time in your hands. Thank you for your abundant goodness to us. Thank you for this reminder every year of what you have done and how you have sent your son um, in the form of a little baby to take away our sins and, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to seat us with you in the heavenly places. And we thank you that we have been called by you to be children of God. Help us today as we study your word 
Help us to get one more, uh, more thoughts, Lord, that will bring life and healing and, um, and deliverance and blessing to us as we go into this holiday season. And we do pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be a blessing to those around us, to our families and to those uh, who will be gathered. And uh, Some will be unbelievers, some uh, believing in you. We just pray, Lord, that you'll use us as instruments uh, for your glory through this season. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today I want to talk about um, the Old Testament prophecies. Um, we're just going to cover eight of them. But I, if you've got the handout that, uh, that was on the table there, did everybody get one of those? Um, and I'll just point that out. These are, the, in here, are 44 prophecies. Um, and then down at the bottom on the second page is a source. And if you, um, and I put that in there because if, in everywhere where it says it has a blue, you know, the blue ink, um, if, if you go to the source here, you can click on that and it'll give you the, it'll give you the, uh, uh, the reference itself. So, I mean, it'll actually, the, you know, it'll actually give you the, the, the uh, verse. So, okay, so, yeah, sure, sure. If you didn't, how many did not get one of those? Okay, all right. Sorry about that. I, I didn't, didn't get them in the uh, bulletin itself. So the events that we've been talking about in Genesis were the preparation for the coming of Christ. And you know, there are those, those big events that we have in Scripture, the creation and then the fall, and that's what we've been studying. We've been studying the fall of man. And then, there, then came the law, and then on the heels of that, um, and in, in answer to, the Old Testament was looking toward the time of Christ. So everything in the Old Testament is a buildup, is a foretelling, you know, pointing toward Jesus Christ. And so that's what we celebrate at Christmas, of course. Um, and then, then Christ will come at the end of the world. So all of history is under God's dominion and sovereignty. All right? Uh, he foreknows all things and directs all things to accomplish his purposes. And God's directing of all things according to God's purposes is called God's government, which is defined as, according to Grudem, God has a purpose in all that he does in the world, and he providentially governs or directs all things in order that they accomplish his purposes. Now, C.S. Lewis has an illustration that I like that kind of um, puts this all in perspective. Because we don't want God to be the author of evil, so we can't say that everything that every person does is directed by God. Right? I mean, you know, that would make God the director of evil, and that God directs unbelievers, those who who are actually in opposition to him. So how do you handle that? Well, C.S. Lewis and, um, said it's like a ship going, I may have used this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again, um, going from London to New York, because C.S. Lewis was in Great Britain. And so, um, and so that ship is going to get to New York, no matter what happens on board. I mean, there are certain things that, of course, could derail it and so on. But although those passengers on board that ship, we can't say are directed by God, but we can say that the ship is going to get to New York. It's directed by God. God's going to take that ship to New York. Um, so, um, so, you know, in the same kind of way, we can't say that God directs everything, every person on the face of the earth, because that does make God the, the author of evil. But what we can say is that God is directing the affairs, and God is directing all things so that, they, so that he is glorified and so that his purposes are accomplished. Does that make sense? Okay. Because it's a hard, it's a hard concept to deal with. 
You know, how do we deal with that and, and, and the sin of man? Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. And this comes from Nebuchadnezzar. And he, this is after his seven years of uh, <laughs> eating, eating grassly, you know, with the, with the wild animals and so on. And it says, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. So this is coming from the, the emperor or the king of the Babylonian Empire. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? All right, so, so we as believers then, we say God is going to establish his purposes on earth. John 5, 39, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Now, this is Jesus talking to the Jewish, the Pharisees, and so on. These are the scriptures that testify about me. So the coming of Christ had to happen because God is directing all things to accomplish his purposes. And the Old Testament was looking forward to the coming of Christ. So today, we want to look at just eight of the prophecies of, we've got 44 in there. Uh, Josh McDowell says that there are actually around 300 prophecies that foretell of Christ. Uh, some of them more specific and some of them more general. But 300 of them. And the handout has just 44 of those. 2 Peter 2, 19 through 21. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Now, he's talking about Old Testament prophets there. And he is saying that, that God directed the Old Testament prophets to, to foretell of the coming of Christ. And then he says in verse 21, uh, Peter is saying this, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, how can he do that? God is omniscient, and God, um, God sees the beginning from the end, or the prophecy from the fulfillment of the prophecy. He sees both of them equally and equally clearly at the same moment. All right. It's a little hard to wrap our, wrap our minds around, but God sees all of history, everything that happens simultaneously, instantaneously. He sees it all as having happened at the same, in the same moment. So you say, well, how can the prophets, you know, predict that Christ is going to come at a certain day and, you know, all those things? How can he do that? Well, God sees the beginning from the end. And he knows exactly what will happen and when and how and so on. He sees them fulfilled at the same moment that the Old Testament prophets spoke. And that is because the Bible is a unified document. So when prophets spoke by the Holy Spirit, they spoke by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, so they wrote down what the Holy Spirit gave them. And then that is fulfilled because... God the Holy Spirit fulfills that which was written down. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, so, and we've covered this before. It's theopanustos, which means, uh, theo, which means God, and panustos, which means outbreathed. So all scripture in both Old and New Testament are outbreathed by God. And that's why we can say that the Old Testament prophets spoke with, by the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit or the outbreathing of God's Holy Spirit. All right, so let's look at then some specific prophecies about the birth of Christ. And I've, I've listed the eight that we'll be talking about. And I'll just go over those briefly. Uh, the head of the serpent, Christ's lineage, come to deliver the downcast, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, called out of Egypt, great sorrow, and timing of Christ's birth. So all of those uh, were predicted. Okay, these are just eight. Uh, 
Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity, now this is the, the curses that God gives to the serpent, to Adam, and to Eve, okay? And this is the, this is the curse given to the serpent. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So it's given to the serpent. It says the serpent is going to strike at the heel. In other words, um, there, this coming son of man, this coming son of God, that Satan is going to strike at his heel, there's going to be problems. He's going to face a lot of opposition, but he will crush your head. And so what that's saying is that Satan is going to be defeated. Jesus is going to be victorious. So right from the fall, God was orchestrating for the coming and the victory of Christ over the power of Satan. 1 John 3.8 He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So, you know, this is interesting. In, I mean, this is one of, the, you know, one of the first things that happened. We're only three chapters in Genesis, and God says there's going to become, there's coming one who is going to destroy the work of Satan. John 10.10, 10, the thief, that is Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Okay, second thing is that Jesus would come from the lineage of David. The days are coming. Uh, this is in Jeremiah 23, 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And then it says, When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, it's a prophecy given to David. And God says to David, I am going to establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is in 2 Samuel. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So God tells David, and David is, of course, uh, you know, from the lineage of Abraham and so on and so forth, and Jacob and Isaac and all of those, and then, and then we go up to the time of David. And, and this is given to David that his kingdom will, be, will endure forever. Now his lineage, of course, physical lineage could not possibly have endured forever. But spiritually, God says that your kingdom, the Davidic kingdom, will endure forever. And this prophecy was given about a thousand years before Christ that Jesus would be from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. He would be from the tribe of Judah and from the lineage of Boaz and Ruth, who were the great-grandparents of David. Okay? So it's establishing his lineage. He's going to crush the head of the serpent, and then he's going, but the one who is coming is going to be, has to be from a, a certain lineage. Well, we find in Matthew then, chapter 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So, uh, it, so, you know, a lot of times we read the genealogies in Matthew and Luke primarily, and we read them, we go, you know, okay, let's, let's, get, let's get this over with and let's get on to the real meat of the stuff. You know? uh, but this is so important, particularly if you're Jewish, it's so important that the Messiah had to come from a certain lineage had to come from this lineage of David, and so Jesus had to come out of that lineage in order to fulfill the promises that, are, that were given to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob and David and, 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 and so on and so forth. Verse 16, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So Christ came out of that lineage. Verse 4, 17, Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. So, so two prophecies so far. One of them, that Christ would crush the head of the serpent. 
that Jesus would be victorious. Secondly, that Jesus had to come from a certain line physically. Third thing is that Christ would come to save the downcast. The Spirit in, in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. All right, so this is so important because this is the very verse that Jesus uses in Luke chapter 4 to, uh, to inaugurate his whole ministry. Jesus is in Nazareth, and, you know, there's certain events that took place prior to that, but then Jesus stands up in the synagogue. He would go to the synagogue on, on you know, on Friday when they, when they had their services. He would go to the synagogue, and he would... Um, you know, preach and teach in the synagogue. Paul did the same thing. But in this particular instance, Jesus is in Nazareth, his hometown, and they hand him a scroll of the scroll of Isaiah, and Jesus reads from it. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus is saying, I have come to fulfill what Isaiah prophesied. The very words that Isaiah prophesied, I've come to fulfill those words. And those words were really important. It's proclaiming good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners. So Jesus is saying, my ministry and what God has sent me to do is to bring healing and deliverance and of, of those who are oppressed and, and need healing and so on, recovery of sight for the blind and so on. So his ministry would be based upon um, a healing and, and deliverance and proclamation of the good news. Number four, Christ would be born of a virgin. Uh, Isaiah 7.14, and this is the one you see on a, so many of the postcards and so on. Probably, you know, a good portion of those postcards you receive for Christmas have this, have this verse on it. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Okay? And this is the same prophecy that Mary received when the angel Gabriel visited her and we see this clearly through this scripture, Matthew uh, chapter 1. And I'm going to read a bit of context, and then we'll, we'll get to the verse that we want to talk about. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Okay, now this is important because Christ had to be fully God and fully man. So it wasn't just enough that he would be born a king. He had, had, he had to be divinely um, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace because if you were found to be pregnant before you got married, um, then you would, you know, it would be a public disgrace. He had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, okay, son of David, notice that, he's from the lineage of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fill, fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, okay, and then, Matthew goes back to then the verse that we just talked to talked about in uh, Isaiah 7:14. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay. So the virgin birth then was absolutely necessary and was prophesied, and 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 Jesus had to be okay had to be born of a virgin. 
had to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. There was no other choice. Next thing is that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, and Micah 5, 2, and again, this is often quoted on the postcards and so on. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one for me who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So there would be one then who would be born in Bethlehem, had to be Bethlehem, because Bethlehem was the, was the home of David, okay? And David came out of, out of, out of Bethlehem, so it had to, had to be from the lineage of David, uh, born in Bethlehem, and it's, it was a small village at that time. It wasn't a great big you know, metropolis or anything. Out of you will come from me who will be ruler over Israel. He will be a king of Israel. His origins are from old, from ancient times. So in other words, he is... He is before all time. He's from ancient times, this one who would be born in Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Now, this is amazing to me because God orchestrates, um, you know, how David, I mean, you know, David, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry, um, I'm sorry, um, Joseph and Mary are in Nazareth, okay, and how was God, how is God going to orchestrate that they end up in Bethlehem? <laughs> well, he has the Roman emperor declare a census for the whole Roman world in order to get Mary and Joseph down to Bethlehem. <laughs> you talk about God orchestrating things, God doing things uh, to make sure that prophecy is fulfilled. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child, Jesus that is, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So, <laughs> I mean, this one is pretty amazing that God, God moves the whole Roman Empire around, you know, reorganizes the whole thing so that they end up in Bethlehem. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> Next thing is that Christ would be called out of Egypt. Uh, next slide. There's a, uh, yeah, here's a, here's a, uh, a map of the, of the trip that Joseph and Mary took. Um, and Hosea 11.1, 1, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him and called him out of Egypt. Out of, out of, and out of Egypt I called my son. So it had to happen then that Jesus came out of Egypt. Well, how could Jesus come out of Egypt being born in Bethlehem. Well, again, God orchestrated that these magi, who were astrologers from the east, came to Herod, who was the governor then in the, at that time in that region, and asked to see the one born in the king of the Jews. So Herod uh, pulled together all the Jewish scholars, and he said, where is this king of the Jews to be born? And they said, well, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So Herod said to the Magi to come back when they had found the child. They did. Um, and they went down and visited Joseph and Mary. The star led them to Jerusalem to meet with Herod and then led them down to, um, <clears throat> down to Bethlehem. Now, it's important to realize here that, you know, a lot of the pictures we see of Jesus' birth, you have the shepherds there, and then you have the magi, right? Well, the, the, the magi could not have been there for Jesus' birth. They came later. And it, um, so they didn't, they, didn't, uh, meet, they didn't get down there when Jesus was born, because they saw the star when he was born, and it took, it took a while to get there. And they came to a house, not the manger. Um, 
look in Matthew chapter 2. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Okay, so the Magi visited um, Joseph and, and Mary, and then God speaks to him not to go back to Herod. And so it says, get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Okay, so God had to have Jesus come out of Egypt as well as from Bethlehem and Nazareth. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Also, we don't know exactly how many magi there were. It doesn't say in scripture that there were three magi. It said there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It doesn't say necessarily, okay, that there were three magi. But, you know, I mean, it's probably a good guess, but we just, we don't know that for sure. Scripture doesn't say. Next thing is, there would be great sorrow surrounding the time of his birth, and many children would be killed. Uh, uh, Jeremiah 31, 15. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. Now, Ramah is five miles northeast of Jerusalem, and there is, in that region then, there is great, uh, there is great weeping because of the command of Herod. And what Herod did was that Herod uh, tried to have Jesus killed. So when the Magi came to, to uh, Herod, he said, you know, listen, Magi, you go down and then come back and tell me, and, and, because I want to go and worship this child as well. And, uh, and, of course, he had no intention of doing that. He was going to have him killed. So when, when, uh, so when the Magi didn't return in time, Herod said, okay, we're going to have all the boys in Bethlehem killed. All right, Bethlehem was a small town at that time. And, and it says here, Rachel weeping for her children. Now, Rachel, if you remember, was the favorite wife of Jacob, and, and Rachel died in childbirth somewhere on, in, the, in the road from, from, um, from Padam Aram to Bethlehem. So they were on their way back to um, Israel at that time, or Palestine, or um, you know, the, the land where Abraham had, had been. And Rachel died in childbirth, so there's weeping. So it's tying together... Rachel's weeping, and, and the family weeping because, of, uh, because she died, and the family weeping because of that, and then also uh, the weeping of the children in Bethlehem. So that's what it's referring to. So when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, it says in Matthew 2, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity. That's why it says um, in Ramah, the vicinity of of Bethlehem in the vicinity, who were two years old and under. That's why we say that it took place later on, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So again, referring back to and quoting Jeremiah 31, 15. The last of the, um, of the uh, events and the prophecies that we're going to talk about, not the last of the prophecies, but the last one we're going to talk about, is found in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy, no one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. Daniel chapter, chapter 9. Now, when was, when the, so the issue is, when was the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem? All right? That's, that's the issue here. Well, Daniel prophesied this prophecy in about 539 
538 B.C. Uh, the fulfillment wasn't until March, April, 40, 444 B.C., 445 B.C. So when was the decree to restore and rebuild, re, rebuild Jerusalem? Well, in Nehemiah chapter 2, it says this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Okay, now this is talking about Jeremiah. And if you remember, there were 70 years of captivity when the children of Israel, um, when you know, the Babylonians came in, captured Jerusalem, and carried the Israelites away to Babylon, and they were there 70 years. Well, then the, the repatriation comes after 70 years, and this is where we pick it up. And Nehemiah is a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and he answered the king. Now remember, <clears throat> if you go in and appear before the king unannounced, um, and, and you bring up something that the king didn't bring up, you can have, you know, it's off with the head, unless you happen to, you know, unless the king happened to take mercy on you. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, Judah where my fathers are buried, so that I can rebuild it. All right. And then verse 6, Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I sent a time. So, the command then, or the decree, to rebuild Jerusalem, okay, there had been Jews who had sent before to rebuild the temple, but now this is rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the rest of Jerusalem. The day that this decree was issued was March 14, 445 B.C. All right. yeah. It's getting pretty precise, isn't it? <clears throat> Sir Robert Anderson wrote a book in 1895 called The Coming Prince. He calculated the days from the, day, from, from the date when the decree was given <clears throat> was 173,880 days. There will be a quiz at the end, so... Uh, so the day is April 6, 32 A.D. Well, what happened in 32 A.D.? April 6, 32 A.D. Well, that's during the, during the life of Jesus, isn't it? Okay? That was the very day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's called the triumphal entry. All right? Luke chapter 19, beginning verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, what's interesting about it is this. Prior to this time, Whenever the, the disciples tried to make Jesus king, he refused it. He said, my time has not come. You can't make me king now. And he didn't say, you know, he wasn't a king. He just said, he, he's, he's not, you know, that's, that's not why he came. It's not the time. But on this event, he said, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So in other words, he is accepting the, the, the designation as king of Israel for the first time. And that happened on April 6, 32 A.D. All right, so, so Messiah would be born from the lineage of Abraham and David. He would be born to a virgin from the town of Bethlehem. He would be filled with power, peace, and the spirit. He would be resisted by Satan, would, but would crush Satan's head. 
He would be taken while an infant to escape to Egypt because King Herod in Jerusalem would seek to kill him. When Herod learns about Jesus' birth in Jerusalem, he orders that all boys two years and younger would be killed. The Messiah finally revealed himself as the coming king on April 6, 32 AD. All of this was prophesied anywhere from 1,000 years to 600 years before it happened. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So when we celebrate Christmas, you know, this is what we're celebrating. We're not celebrating that Santa Claus and his reindeer (laughs) come. We are celebrating that Christ fulfilled all these prophecies that God knew exactly what he's doing, and he sent Jesus exactly the right day. Now, um, Josh McDowell goes into the odds of eight prophecies about Jesus coming. First of all, he says, there were eight eight of the uh, events and prophecies of Jesus that were totally beyond Jesus' control. Um, his place of birth. Jesus didn't have any choice in where he was born. Neither did you. <laughs> we, you know, we're just born. And his time of birth. He had no control over that. His manner of birth. No control over that. His betrayal. His manner of death. People's reactions. Piercing of his side. And his burial. And so Josh McDowell um, quotes a, a mathematician for how... Um, the, the odds that one person would fulfill eight, just eight prophecies. And it's one in 10 to the 17th power. Okay, that sounds like a nice small number. <laughs> but it's 10 with, with or one with uh, 17 zeros after it. It's even bigger than the U.S. debt. So it's the odds of taking, <laughs> he says... 10 to the 17th power silver dollars covering the state of Texas two feet deep all over the state. So picture Texas, okay? Pretty, pretty good-sized state, right? I think Alaska actually has more land, but, uh, but Texas, huge, huge state. And if you ever try to drive across it, <laughs> you would agree with that, right? <laughs> Which we've done a few times. But you cover Texas two feet deep with silver dollars, and then it's the odds that, that you can go in and pick that one silver dollar. Okay, now that's just eight prophecies. The odds that one person would fulfill 48 of the prophecies about the coming of Christ was one, to the, one in 10 to the 157th power. Now that's the odds of doing the same thing but covering it with electrons. All right, and you're picking one electron out of the state of Texas. The electron is about as small an object as we know of. It's so small that it takes 2.5 times 10 to the 15th top power of them laid side by side to make a line single file one inch long. Okay. <laughs> if we were to if we were to uh, count the electrons in those in that line one inch long counted 250 per minute, and we counted day and night, it would take us 19 million years to count just one inch line of electrons. If we were to count a cubic inch of those electrons, it would be the same. It would be 200, counting 250 per minute, 19 million times 19 million times 19 million years in order to count the electrons in one cubic inch. And then you take that and you cover the state of Texas with it, two feet deep, and then you go and pick one of those electrons out of the state of Texas. <laughs> that's, that's pretty amazing, pretty amazing on. So what we're saying is that this is impossible. I mean, can we grant that? that this is, I mean, the odds are really, I mean, this is impossible. Uh, and, you know, of course, some people say, oh, yeah, but there's still one little chin. No, not really, you know, uh, because there were actually 300 prophecies, and we didn't calculate what, what the odds are for that. But it's, it's an absolute impossibility that all of this would have been fulfilled by one person, by Jesus Christ. Luke 1.31 
through 38 says this. You will be with child. And this is, this is talking to Mary. And give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Okay, there's the lineage of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom is going to be forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin, had to be a virgin birth? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So he was divine. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her seventh, sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. That's really the, that, that, that's the, you know, that's the, the whole gist of it, is that absolutely nothing is impossible with God. You look at those odds, and you say, God did it. It's impossible, but God did it. I am the Lord's servant, Mary's answer. May it be to, to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So in conclusion, could it possibly be that the Bible has it right? <laughs> that, uh, that what was impossible with man is, is possible with God. And God did that which was utterly impossible. The odds are just, just astronomical. And God did it. And he did it for us. The birth of Jesus was planned by an omniscient, miracle-working God. That's the only thing you can say, is that this birth of Jesus, and that's what we're celebrating. We, as we go into this Christmas season, we are celebrating that God did that which was utterly impossible in the, in the eyes of man, utterly impossible to, to do for anybody to put together. And we've, we've been, you know, we talked about Genesis and the impossibility of, of this planet Earth sustaining life and all that God has done. God did all of this for you and for me. That's what Christmas is all about. Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's really, I mean, that's really what it's all about. To Christ to God be the glory forever. Amen. A little town of Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Go by. 
us pray. Our Heavenly Father, there were so many prophecies of what would happen when you sent your Son. And we saw, we saw some today that spoke where you had told the prophets before that your son would come and how he would come and the type of person he would be. And Lord, we've learned from him the type of persons we need to be. So Lord, let us go out, celebrate his birth and celebrate the lives that you have given us and all that you do for us. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. God, be with us till we